Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is an ABC podcast. Good plan, good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Out of Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. Head from the side. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Groundbreakers, history makers. Oh, hello and welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. It is Emma Raciar back in the chair. I'm happy to be home. And I am joined, as always, by my football-loving lady, Lynn the Lock Lock <laughs> friends. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hello, it's Lucy Race here. Hi, it's Julia Kiera. And it's Tess Armstrong over here. Oh, what a crew to come back to. How are you, ladies? Oh, good. Yeah, well, do you know this uh, living in the lock lock time is fascinating? It's nice to get out of the house, firstly, (laughs) if you have that opportunity. If you're still working, then kudos to you. Um, Working in the house has presented some challenges for me. I'm now homeschooling. Well, I'm now administering online schooling. I understand there's still teachers doing their job. So um, I'm administering online schooling to my children. But one thing that I managed to achieve this week is I thought when we went into the lockdown, I thought I'm going to come out with a six pack. I'm going to learn a new language. I was all those things. I'm going to bake bread, all that stuff. There's no six pack, but I did cut my husband's hair. And it went really well. We were outside and I'd bought some some clippers online, cheap ones. (laughs) And then I couldn't get the bits around his ears, so I used the kitchen scissors. And then he had all that hair kind of sitting on his shoulders and the leaf blower was just sitting right <laughs> next to us. So I grabbed it and I just hosed him down with the leaf blower and I thought, is this how Vidal Sassoon got started? <laughs> so that's what I've been able to achieve since I've not been here. Lucy, what about you? I've taken up tennis. Mm. Wee tennis. <laughs> And it's hilarious. You say Wii Tennis. I think you're playing tennis and you wet your pants. Yeah, that too. But no, it's hilarious. And I'm looking forward to trying some golf this afternoon. Try the bowling, Lucy. It's really fun on Wii. Can I say the problem with Wii sports, there's a lot of problems, but I love it. But you, it gives you this false sense of security. So my family and I used to always play Wii bowling on a Sunday night. We'd go really well. And one day we thought, let's take this to a real bowling alley. Let's take the whole fam down. Not one of us had any talent at all. It does not translate. Are FYI. you kidding me? It's funny you should say that because yesterday when we mooted this, one person in this Stop room... One former almost semi-professional footballer got very angry about Wii Sports, Julia Kiera. Explain yourself. Well. (laughs) The thing with Wii Sports is you don't actually need to use any real technique to be good at it. So you could live your whole life being technically good at tennis or bowling and then you play Wii Sports tennis and you were terrible and to me that is not fair i've put in the hours <laughs> over the years to refine my technique and then to suddenly have it not 
be rewarded <laughs> through this game and that just unco dum-dums are real good. <laughs> so elitist. That's on my business too, card. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually just the great leveller. Yeah. It is the great leveller. It's like if you're really good at rowing and then you get on an ergo and it doesn't, oh, yeah. it's not the same because you don't actually need to adjust your angle to drop the oar into the water when you're on an ergo. You just pull it back and forth. What and then... technical speak are you talking? Drop the oar. It's what very happening? us and them, isn't it, all of a sudden, <laughs> Julia? So what have you learned? You obviously haven't been doing Wii Sports. No. I... <laughs> I've learned lots of things. Look, I've learned that you can live a perfectly fine day and only take 400 steps. Um <laughs> But I, maybe a few months ago, was listening to a radio um, segment about if there is a nuclear winter and there's no, there's no sunlight, how will, what will we eat? And in that, um, it was said that we would eat seaweed and we would eat mushrooms. And so in preparation for, you know, COVID, when COVID started to happen, I bought a mushroom farm. Um, Not a mushroom farm. I I was like, wow, you really splashed (laughs) out. Mushroom... Box seedlings, (laughs) (laughs) and I have been. I'm basically a farmer. I'm based in my laundry now. I have a colony of mushrooms, and when you are all, you know, out there adrift, no protein, I'll be there eating my one Swiss crown a day. I used to live in a share house in North Fitzroy that grew mushrooms in the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't need to buy a box. (laughs) So you're a doomsday prepper. That's what we've learned about you. Tess, what have you learned? I famously can't bake or cook really to save myself. So what happens is that I go through stages of inspiration where I couldn't not burn toast, but then I'll try and cook something super complicated. So I saw on the internet Annabelle Crabb had posted this recipe for a brioche bread pull apart thing where each of the individual rolls of dough was different flavours and, you know, whatever. And so I thought, well, I'll give that a go. Anyway, I've never made anything even remotely comparable. Totally nailed it. I don't know what has happened, but I have become a baker extraordinaire. It was so delicious. And my husband was a chef in previous life and the two of us just couldn't stop talking about it. We're like, I cannot believe I did that. It was so yum. I know it's bread and it's simple, but to me... I'm an amazing person. <laughs> so what's for dinner tonight? Are you making crock and bush? That's, just <laughs> like That's right. I'm doing one of those hungy things where you like the I'm copying New Zealand. I'm gonna dig a hole, put something in the ground outside. I feel like Julia is moments up. away from having a hungy in her backyard. <laughs> no. You've probably already done it. You've already done it, haven't you, Julia? Hey, the weekend just passed would have been the AFLW grand final, which is surprising because I feel like the last game that we saw was at least five hundred years ago. <laughs> <laughs> when people were saying that, I was like, hang on a minute. I got out my diary and I was counting it like I'd skipped a period, like crossing <laughs> all the pages going, this can't be right. But somehow it was. And I realised that I've, as news has been coming to hand with this COVID situation, is that all of my milestones are kind of getting reassessed constantly. So where I felt completely bereft that we had missed the final series of the AFLW grand final and everything, since that was announced... Wimbledon's been cancelled. The Tour de France has been cancelled. <laughs> the, the Masters and the Olympics. And I'm like, 
you know what, I'm okay. I'm, I'm all right with this. The fact is we, the only football that we've pretty much seen all year has been AFLW and I'm okay with that. Is that funny how you reassess yes. what's and, normal? And also with the with the talk that there might not be any more football for the rest of the year, my thought the other day was like the next football we will see will be AFLW. AFLW. <laughs> it's like good. I know the whole the whole world can just hang off that. All right, so there is some AFL and AFLM and AFLW news. So shall we roll up our sleeves and melee ladies? Yes. Okay, so interestingly, you probably have caught up with the news that Lockie Hunter from the Bulldogs has been handed down a four-game suspension and been and has relinquished his vice-captaincy after he was drink-driving and sideswiped a bunch of cars. Most of those cars were owned by Bailey Smith's girlfriend's family <laughs> who are now That's rethinking awkward. all of their life choices as well. It was poor judgment and potential insight into what the AFLM players are up to in this downtime. Tess, do you have opinions on this? You know I have opinions on about it. But one thing I notice is that people aren't comfortable having more than one opinion. You can look at this issue and this situation this week and particularly coupling it together with Tyson Stengel from Adelaide who did a very similar thing on Good Friday a little while ago. And you can think these are young men who have a lot of money and a lot of structure in their lives and that structure has been completely taken away. Their purpose has been completely taken away. Reports are that, you know, Lockie had a fight with his girlfriend and people have things going on and mental health struggles during times like this, so is the whole world. And then you can also say that, well, I didn't go out and get drunk and drive around, and a lot of people have been faced with trauma in their lives related to drink driving, and it doesn't make it okay to say, oh, you know, but he's a young man and he's, you know, having a struggle. But you don't have to have one opinion. And one thing about football media is that they were like, oh, no, no, you know, he's just a young man. It's all good. He's just a young man. Okay, but you're the same people that pillory him when he like misses a goal at the end of the game or something like that. There's articles for six weeks to say how dare he even be in the senior side because he miskicked or whatever. And then it's okay for him to drink drive. It's not okay. But it's also a thing that a lot of people are probably going through at the moment where people are going to make mistakes and Lockie Hunter happens to be the one that's public. Hmm. I kind of think it's a like you really have to have tried hard to get done for drink driving at a time when you're all meant to be at home. It's <laughs> a really valid <laughs> like, point. I don't, well, I'm not trying to make a joke about it, but mm. it's like you've really made some choices there. It's not, I don't know. I, just, I can't yeah. separate the drink driving from the he was out of the house driving yeah. in a non-essential way. <laughs> like I'm like, hang on a minute, we're all adhering to the yes. stay-at-home yeah. rule. Why is he out in his car mm. in that state? Other than that, I don't have any follow-on opinions of this means ipso facto AFLM mm-hmm. players aren't coping with structural you know, disturbances. I'm just like, ipso facto, he's a normal person. He's yeah. made a mistake. I'm shocked that anyone was out driving in their yeah. car. I guess, you know, the other, the other part of it is I do have a problem with linking it to mental health struggles automatically. Mm -hmm. I think you make a really good point, Tess, that a lot of people struggle with mental health and don't break the law and don't endanger other people's lives. So I Mm. don't think that you always have to connect the two. There may be some overlap, but we don't know. And I guess with all of these issues where players break the law, that's got a process to go through, through the legal system. And so it's quite appropriate that he doesn't speak and that the club put in place their sanctions and then it's left to kind of go through the legal system as well. Julia, you were formerly the welfare officer at a football club. Where we have a layer of um, citizens that 
knowing that the rules are that we shouldn't drink drive and we don't want to bring ourselves or our companies and businesses into disrepute, what is there an extra layer for footballers or for people who work at football clubs feeling that they get that kind of an extra education around things like drink driving? Yeah, so I think that for for players and especially players that have been in the system for a long time, that's that's their whole world is the staff that they know, the staff that I don't want to say pick up after them, but but make them feel special and important and that that what they're doing, all the sacrifices that they're making in terms of their bodies are worth it because you know, you get to play the game that you love, you get to enjoy the spectacle of football, you get to enjoy running out on the MCG. All that's been, been lost. And now what's left is having to be much more self-disciplined, not having the, the camaraderie around you in the gym, all those things that actually make sport easier. Yes, the light of a, an elite athlete is difficult because you have to be very strict mm. with yourself and what you eat and your behaviours, but it's also made easier because the structures are there mm. and the social support is there and everyone's doing it alongside you, whereas now everyone's doing it in their own house and mm. that's just not the mm. same. And many of these players like AFL M players have probably been institutionalised for such a long time mm. and kept on track, so your insights are really valid and interesting. Lucy? It'd be interesting to know whether the people that were appointed to the AFL last year are still working. So we saw a chief psychiatrist appointed and also a head of mental health and wellbeing. I did note on the AFLPA website that they have some really good resources that basically in this time of COVID-19 has some strategies for recognising and self-managing depression or anxiety, um, some educational tools, but also some great advice on how to access more help. So it's good to see that the AFLPA have, you know, really made that quite clear. Mm, I think the challenge now is though for players to really do the reaching out Mm. because when you're in the club environment and, you know, you look a little bit down, there's five or six staff members that are going to check on you. And it might be the first staff member that's like, are you feeling okay? And you're like, I'm fine, mate. And the second comes along, I'm fine, mate. The third, and then you finally open up. Mm. Whereas now that's totally flipped and it's based on the person recognising in themselves that they're not doing okay and then reaching out. That takes a lot of work Mm. to do that. Mm. Tess Armstrong, you sit here at the ABC most days and you receive a lot of um, press releases and notifications. You've recently received a notification that Gil will be an announcement of a pending announcement. <laughs> Similarly, what? actually, on the Western Bulldogs, they put out a statement to say they would be making a statement about Lockie Hunter. And then we got a, a press release from the AFL to say that Gillen was doing a press conference. And we go, oh, hello. Are they going to do what the NRL are doing? And they're going to announce a date. But Gillen did a whole press conference on Zoom to say that he will announce a date in the future. I was like, okay. It's called a babushka press release. (laughs) Just come back to us. Inside a press release. Inside a press release. It's all good, guys. Just come back to us when you've got something. Don't worry about it. Lucy, have you speculated? Have you got any ideas what Gillen's going to be talking about? (laughs) Is it about who's going to be buying for who in the Kris Kringle this year? (laughs) I've narrowed it down. It sounds like Gillen will be talking on Monday, potentially to float a date of when we might see footy restart. So he's been in talks with a Victorian Chief Health Officer Officer Brett Sutton, and this is what Brett Sutton had to say the other day. I was speaking to Gillian McLaughlin yesterday. He understands public health quite well, and we were talking about asymptomatic transmission and, and, and physical distancing uh, because uh, we were talking through trying to get AFL up and running again and, and what measures might need to be in place because we're all keen to get everything moving again. 
at the right time. He was saying he hadn't been within two metres of someone for five weeks. That's the kind of demonstration that we need across the board because that will work uh, if we're doing it at a community level with uh, 90% plus compliance. Gil and I discussed it in terms of the planning that needs to be in place. He will come formally with uh, some proposals. Uh, my suggestion was it needs to be a national conversation because um, it does relate to how teams can move around the country. Um, we don't want a situation where everyone's in quarantine crossing a state border uh, for 14 days. That AFL can't work in that regard. Uh, but it needs a detailed proposal that works through uh, exactly how risk is managed, how the, the physical distancing can be in place and how the you know, surveillance for illness uh, in any players uh, is managed. No one, no one wants these measures from a punitive point of view. We're all trying to make it work, uh, but it needs the kind of detailed work and planning to uh, give us the assurance about when it can come back online. Gillen's been off working on this proposal. There's been a number of dates that I've heard bandied about. Jared Healy said something about June 21. Carolyn Wilson's been doing a lot of reporting on this issue and her latest information sounded like late July was a possibility and there's a possibility that games might be played in what would have been that Olympics-Paralympics time slot. The sorts of things I think we can expect is hubs, players in basically in quarantine hubs, maybe across three states. It was looking like South Australia, WA, Tasmania, but with the COVID-19 situation in Victoria looking better, it's actually in the mix now, and the MCG have talked about the fact that they've been talking with the AFL. They're potentially able to see five to six games a week at the MCG. Some of the other news that's come out this week is that these hubs will also be family friendly for players or staff who need to have family with them. That was a concern that was raised early on in this discussion. Some of the other things that we might expect are daily games. So potentially through that Olympics time, we might see games played during the week, um, games played during the day, some double headers. So um, on bin night and on swe- street sweeping night. All of those days. Each council's bin night. Every council's <laughs> bin night. Yeah, that purple bin night is going to be when the Dockers play. Um, is it just 16 aside because some people need to be homeschooling their kids in the, the grandstand <laughs> of the good... MCG? Or... I like yeah, that. I see that happening. Um, the other thing that we'll see is probably minimal staff. So they've been looking at ways that they can actually broadcast with minimal broadcasters. There won't be commentators at the game. Are they going to have live cameras in the hub so it's become like Big Brother? Because we saw Dangerfield <laughs> saying that after off. the Jordan doco and after the um, the test, you know, like yep. more access for cameras. So the whole thing will be filmed. It will be turned Absolutely. into Big Brother AFLM. But well, just via CCTV, though. Yeah. <laughs> so the ball will be out of shot for a few seconds and then come back in. Interestingly, they're using the, the way that AFLW games have been broadcast as, a, um, I guess, a bit of a measure of what you can do with less cameras. Of course so they are. There we go. Yeah. So I think what's interesting is that the conversation's changing. So... When initially the idea of hubs was raised, people were really reluctant to sort of even think about that. And even when you think about playing games with no crowds, I know I was really, I I didn't want to see it. I'm wondering whether we've now, as we were talking off the top of the show, whether our brains have changed so much Mm. that we're actually really open to that. And Mm. I think, you know, watching games without crowds might be good. Well, the other thing that we should also put in the mix is, of course, with Virgin collapsing um, Mm. this week and with the issues with that, that was a huge spot 
sponsor for the Carlton Footy Club, and I think they also sponsored the All-Australian. There's going to be um, impact across all of the football scheduling. So I think we'll mm-hmm. see the Bring a Plate Brownlow, the um, <laughs> the All-Australian from a home, from a card table. <laughs> um, like the fo- nothing's going to look the way that we've expected it to look. Absolutely not. Look, there is some talk that they are trying to find ways that if there's a grand final to get some people into it, potentially 20,000 I've heard. Just corporates. So, <laughs> and basically, you know, one person per bay. But what I thought was really interesting is Peter Ryan wrote a piece in The Age and you made the point about guinea pigs, you know, <laughs> potentially in a big brother house. He wrote this. Governments are also interested in learning from elite sporting organisations as to how to effectively relax measures around community participation in sport without jeopardising health. So when governments are looking at ways of reopening things, I feel like Peter Ryan's saying there that they may be looking to how sport does it to see what happens and what the impact might be. I feel like even if the 20,000 corporates came, they still wouldn't turn up. They'd, They'd still be in the bars. Empty seats. <laughs> still be empty seats. I don't know how I feel about it because I, I, I swing between, mm. first of all, my logical brain says this is a national and international crisis. You have no idea what the world is going to look like in one month time. Maybe don't worry about it. I don't need to know the day that football is mm. coming back mm. because I don't know that my family are safe in one month and that my friends internationally yeah. are going to be okay in one month. That's the stuff that matters to me. I don't really care what date football is going to come back. I'd rather football come back, as I said last week, when my life feels good and normal and everything's back to normal and it's the cherry on top. But then another part of me is like, oh, it would be good to have football. Like it would be fun to have something to sport to watch on the tally and all of that. But unless you have a national approach, this is a national game. It's not a Victorian game. It's not a WA game. It's not a South Australian. Every state is in a completely different circumstance. Mm. Victoria's chief health officer said the other day, if we hadn't taken the steps that we'd taken, 650 Victorians would have died every single day already by now. Mm. We are not out of it yet. Mm. We're not even at the peak yet. So let's just calm the farm. The costs Mm. seem so high mm. for what we're proposing you know not just the, the there's the human cost mm. at saying we'll put these people out there all it takes is for one player yeah. to mm. get diagnosed with this and then and then what are we looking at like that's what the thing that really terrifies me but then also we're not going to be able to transport these players around no. anywhere like it's going to be really expensive yeah. to mm. fly anywhere so this national game freight train it takes a long time I saw Matt Finnis announcing yesterday that a lot of St Kilda staff have now been put into temporary work working for a courier company so maybe they're going to courier the players around I don't know they're careful movers (laughs) but I do like I do like the Brett Sutton saying that um Gillan McLaughlin hadn't been within two meters of anyone I wonder whether he lies down on the ground to measure that out Gillan McLaughlin is two meters taller than everyone so he's never been within two meters of anybody (laughs) I like the idea that they're looking to women's sport for the answers there was an article in ESPN or on ESPN (laughs) this week, and it was by Brittany Mitchell. It was Netball's ability to survive on little will see them through COVID-19 uncertainty. And this actually kind of posits what you were saying, that women's sport, and this is a quote by Marnie Fetchner, who is the Netball Australia CEO, as a sport, we've always managed to do a lot with a little, and we've become a lot more resourceful when we're under pressure. Now, you know, this is a hard time for netball. Netball had actually been starting to really see great improvements in terms of they had great broad- broadcasting deals, 
sponsorship deals and that was trickling through to better paying conditions for players. I think we'd seen Netball Australia really lead the way with policies around maternity leave and returning to play after having a baby. So they, it's so frustrating that they were in that position and now they're going to have to rethink like a lot of other sporting administrators are going to have to do. But I love the idea of women's sport showing the pathway back for a lot of sports that have done it with a lot more. Mm. Well, we saw the AFL-PA hand out the MVP awards in an innovative way this week, which was kind of, it was no less exciting, I have to say. Like those, um, that AFL-PA um, MVP event is always a really lovely event and they're always very kind to the Outer Sanctum and allow us in to see that event roll out. Lucy, have you got all the winners there? I do have all the winners here. So the best first-year player was Georgia Patrikios from St Kilda. Of course it was. <laughs> Julia, are you going to say called it after every say Let's play Julia, I bingo. I called it the moment she was drafted to St Kilda. You Ooh. can look back in our group chat with that. You know I will. I'm a stickler for <laughs> a fact. I have to wade through a lot of memes to get there. <laughs> it was a fairly comprehensive victory because she polled 173 votes. Um, the runner-up was Greg from Carlton Grace Egan on 89. Best captain, I imagine you would have picked this too, Julia. Daisy Pierce from Melbourne. Yeah, she's not bad. She does all right. <laughs> Daisy who? And most courageous, I don't think anyone would have been surprised to see Kiara Bowers take that out. But nice to see Katie Loins coming in just behind her and Isabel Huntington. Awesome. Mm. Impressive. Go the defenders. Now, Julia, a couple of weeks ago, we made you do your 22 under 22, which was, I think you did an amazing job. Have you compared notes with the official 22 under 22 and your own? I have. I have to say that the, so the official 22 under 22 is fan voted. And for the most part, fans are really smart, but sometimes they're not. <laughs> um, so there's a real when theme in this show. When Julie's they disagree got with her me, swagger on. Uh, we <laughs> was, when they Terry put Wallace, the 22 <laughs> under on, 22 plow. selection on Wii Sport. <laughs> I oh my god. Go ahead, Julia. <sighs> we value your opinions here at the Outer Sanctum. <laughs> so. My team and the fan team had 20 players in common, so I think that's pretty good. We had different captains and vice-captains. The people I had in my team that were omitted from the fan team were Anne Hatchard because if I think if you get 30 possessions a game, you're okay. And Olivia Purcell, who was just had a standout year, midfielder, kicks lots of goals. The fan-voted team had Jazz Grierson, who I actually really struggled to not put in my team. Mm-hmm. So I can see how Jazzy got in there and Sophie Conway, who again is a fan favourite. So there's favouritism and then there's stats. <laughs> so And then there's passive aggressive. <laughs> I've lost it. Oh, no, I love it. I've been waiting for you to unleash it. the actual, the true Julia. True Julia. Who knew it would be Wii Sports that was the trigger? Like, oh, no. to see this unravelling of her cool facade. I'm Ali Blackburn, and you're listening to the Yowder Sanctum. It's been so lovely hearing from some of our friends in the outer. Today, we have a special hello from Elise. Hey, Sanctumers. I'd like to be self-isolating, but I work at a department store and we are still open, so I'm still going to work. So life isn't too different. My relationship with footy is currently good. Watching classic games is providing me with a satisfying fix. I'm often working on weekends and don't get to see much football, so I've still got plenty of AFLW games to watch from this season. 
which along with watching classic games will hopefully help me get through winter because football season is what gets me and possibly many other people through the cold, dreary winter. I hope there is a virtual W Awards to provide closure to the 2020 FLW season where we can all gather around our screens and celebrate the players' achievements. Go footy! Laura Kane is Head of Football Operations at North Melbourne and a long-time friend of the pod. When we first met her, she was the president of the Muggers and a busy practising lawyer, but footy has become her sole focus since joining North in 2016. Laura Kane, how are you? I'm well. I'm well considering everything that's going on, uh, but it is lovely to be back. Laura, it's Lucy here. Now, you've been a player, a coach, an administrator. You've helped women's clubs merge with men's clubs at the grassroots level and at the elite level. Have any of these experiences helped you manage footy operations in the time of a global pandemic? (laughs) I didn't expect you to add the global pandemic part at the end, but if we leave that part off, yes, they most certainly did. (laughs) Um, If we add back in the global pandemic part, I think all of them have to be honest the legal background is problem solving at its core so I think that's um that set me in good stead to try and and manage uh through this time that is obviously unprecedented. Just picking up on that the fact that you were a personal injury lawyer does that sort of influence the way that you look at ways in helping your club find ways to get the players back training together and playing again? Yes and no. I mean, the work that I was doing was very different. I was working on the Royal, a Royal Commission, so very different to sort of day-to-day personal injury law. So not as entirely relevant, but it certainly helps add a lens for me in terms of safety and policies and procedures and good practice, I guess, in terms of people's health and well-being. So that goes with or without a global pandemic, but it, it's always something that I guess I'm trained to be thinking about. Uh, hi, Laura, it's Julia here. Look, last year, North, they missed out on finals based on you know, the quirks of conferencing. And this year you were looking like a really strong contender to make it to the grand final, which would have been last weekend. How do you kind of deal with the disappointment within the team of having two really strong years but not being able to play off in a grand final? Yeah, it's a really interesting question and interesting situation. We we addressed it actually in our last all-in meeting before the uh, social distancing and the, the regulations sort of came into force and uh, quite a few people in different roles at the club reflected on that, that, that we'd come into the competition obviously with a very clear aim and it was to win. And uh, the first the first year, the conferences uh, didn't work in our favour, but we, we said it then and we said it now. We, we lost to the two teams that finished, you know, uh, above us, I guess, and we weren't, we weren't the best team. So we, we take that one completely fairly. And this year is... Um, like nothing we could have planned for. So it was obviously disappointing. We were really pleased with the game against Collingwood and and getting a win in in that round, albeit no crowds. Um, But we always also knew that Fremantle were going to be hard to beat. Carlton came on strong and, and we lost to Melbourne. So there was no givens this year either. So I'm probably sitting on the fence a little bit in terms of the answer, but it is it is what happened. And 
you have to get there before you can feel like you're a good chance to win it. So we, we obviously thought we could do that. We were disappointed, but it's just unique. So I hope next year there's nothing like this that we have to contend with. <laughs> Another C word to get in the way, conferencing, COVID. <laughs> Collingwood. <laughs> no, not Collingwood. Carlton, no. Unsurprisingly, Jazzy Garner picked up the MVP award. She was absolutely outstanding this season. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you've managed to make that moment special for her and for the club and to really celebrate and also how she managed to have such a huge season. What were the major improvements that you saw? Yeah, so we were really pleased with with Jazzy this season, obviously. I think she was really happy with her season as well, which is also really important. The MVP award, um, the Coaches Association award, it's a really good reflection um, for her on how hard she worked this year. So there was an article that credited our, our list manager, uh, Reese Harwood, with the move to the midfield. So we're obviously reminded of that often by him. Um, but it was a really good, it was a really good move, and it made sense for us when we made some changes to our forward line, um, which were quite obvious, I guess, with Emma King spending a bit of time up forward, and us um, luckily being able to bring in Viv Saad, but also have Abby Green working hard on that second ruck role, I guess, which then turned into to first ruck. So we had a little bit of flexibility to make some change and um, adding uh, Ali Gavalis too to the middle helped helped us with a little bit of depth. So it worked structurally and, and we trained it all pre-season and it worked in our favour. So she had an outstanding season. She led in almost all all stats and and really important stats like contested possessions and contested marks and inside 50s and a whole heap of other things um, that uh, reflect how well she played. Um, In terms of celebrating um, her achievements, we've been quite active on uh, our own sort of Zoom calls and and, um, channels to stay connected with one another to make sure she understands how big the award is. So I think she's the third North Melbourne player to, to ever win one and think it's Carrie and, and Corey McKernan who she's joining. So it's a massive deal for our club to have someone voted by their peers as the most valuable players. That's exciting. Now, Laura, we were talking earlier about how women's sport has often had to make do with less resources and I guess find ways to be innovative and nimble. Do you think there's some lessons that women's sport can teach men's competitions in terms of a way out of this situation? Absolutely. Uh, I think I've seen obviously working across both of our programs and we're reliant heavily on Microsoft Teams at the moment with with both of our programs really, but every single day for our men's program, which is obviously still full time. And I think some lessons that in my time at Melbourne Uni and, and then even with AFLW and VFLW, we've relied heavily on, on platforms for girls to watch vision and interact with the club and staff via WhatsApp or Huddle or whatever it may be. And now in our men's program where we can only use those platforms. So it's been, um, I, I think... I think for all clubs, um, there'll be some learnings in terms of more efficiencies and can we rely on technology even when we don't have uh, isolation uh, lockdown requirements um, to save time, really. Uh, It seems to be, like I said, more efficient, um, less questions that might not need to be asked or or less conversations that might not need to be had. And I think women's sport has had to find ways for a long time to be efficient and resourceful. So 
yeah, short answer is yes. There's there's lots we can learn and we're learning every day. Um, we've heard a bit about clubs helping staff find alternative work. Is this something North have been doing? Absolutely. Uh, our head of people and culture, Meg Lawrence, has been emailing almost every day and we've had an extraordinary support from people um, like our Coterie members and board members and other organisations that have reached out to us. Uh, we have a lot of really talented staff and, and players um, for that matter. So AFLW players in particular who have been helping, um, but we've got a lot of talented people that would be great for businesses that are thriving in times like these. So, um, yeah, it's been, I've been really pleased to see all of those opportunities shared with our part-time players and also our staff. Laura, we've seen during this week in terms of the men's competition, a lot of different clubs speaking out, I suppose, about the types of things being proposed. Um, Patrick Dangerfield said, you know, the players might be open to hubs, whereas West Coast coach Adam Simpson said that's probably not something they've looked at. Does North Melbourne have these conversations? And can you give us any insight into where your club is sitting? Yeah, absolutely, we do. We have um, we have multiple Microsoft Teams calls every week <laughs> or every day, but we're regularly updated as an executive team um, via our, our CEO, Ben Amafio, who's working with um, the AFL or speaking to the AFL and AFL CEOs almost every day. And then our executive team absolutely work through all of the ideas that are coming forward. So as a, as a general rule, we want to play and the players want to play and um, the AFLW players want to get back to a pre-season and, and play their their, follow, their next season. So as a general rule where we will be flexible and be looking at ways that we can support any ideas that help us do that. But obviously there's a lot of uh, a lot to be worked through. So it's not just the AFL and, and clubs trying to work through these things. It's all, all organisations and nationally and at a state level. So yeah, we're, we're absolutely open to this, the, you know, all different ideas that are, are popping up and we're having the conversation every day to work through what it would mean for us and what it would mean for our players and um, how we would go about things. But we're also conscious that those discussions have to be set at a, a higher level and a framework set to make it work for all of the 18 clubs and um, the, all, all, you know, vast majority in Victoria and those that have to travel. So um, some is a bit beyond us, but we, yeah, we're having the conversation every day to make sure we're ready for whenever we return and in whatever way that, that looks. You're obviously you're doing a lot of Zoom meetings and a lot of Teams meetings. Uh, what else are you doing to stay kind of present and healthy and, and feeling okay in yourself? Yeah, there's um, I've had enough of looking at computer screens, so it's nice to be on a phone call as compared <laughs> with a video conference. I'm trying to exercise every day and walk across the road to get a coffee at the takeaway coffee shop across the road from my house. The supermarket is quite an adventure. <laughs> it's hard. You, you have to stay home. But And I, I live in West Melbourne and there are no cars on the road at all, so it's very different to what I'm used to. Watching Netflix, the usual. I'm trying to read, but Netflix is a is a far more enticing <laughs> exercise. Have you got a recommendation for us? Money Heist is oh, my yes. clear favourite. Yep. 
but in Spanish with subtitles, which a lot of people think yeah. I'm insane for watching it in, in that way. That means you can't no. multitask. You can't text at the same Correct. time. Exactly you have to watch the screen it. and put your glasses <laughs> on. Exactly um, we I know that you're on the competition committee for the AFLW. There's going to be many and plenty of interesting new decisions to be made as we emerge from this whenever it might be. We look forward to catching up with you and having your insights. We value your voice so much. Thanks for being on the Outer Sanctum today. Thank you. Thanks for having me and I hope you're all doing well and um, enjoying lots of different things like may hopefully money heist. Laura Kane is a great um, person to have on our podcast. I'm so thrilled when you suggested her, Lucy, but it didn't go according to plan. <laughs> Things that go wrong in the time of COVID-19. Yeah. Look, we could have had two Laura Canes on the show just quietly. So I did email Laura Kane from North Melbourne and then I second-guessed myself and thought, oh, she might not be getting emails. I don't know why I thought that. So I did reach out via direct message on Twitter. Unfortunately, it wasn't to the Laura Kane that we know and who we're good friends with, but there is another Laura Kane in Glasgow who was actually really open to coming on the show. (laughs) So I had to kind of let her down a little bit gently and it would have been really interesting. She had a clash at the time. So she was asleep. If she didn't no, she had a meeting. If she didn't have a meeting, we could have had Glaswegian Laura Kane on as well. Do you think she would have had strong opinions about the conference system? <laughs> look, I look forward to I, I actually haven't drawn a line through her on no, our list of potential guests. We may catch up with her at some point. Oh, it's hilarious. One day we have to do a pod with Lucy Race from Glasgow and the other Julia Chiara from Italy. <laughs> Tess Armstrong from England. I can't wait to hear, see their 22 under 22. I can't like, bring it on. It'll make Julia angry. It's so funny. Um, one other person who really makes us laugh, who has offered up a little treat like she does, is the other race sister, the artist formerly known as Felicity. (laughs) Here is Googling with Felicity Race. I was feeling nostalgic for sport today, so decided to check out an American dedicated sports channel that comes with my TV subscription. I've read that one of the industries that's booming at the moment is online gambling. And whilst I'm no gambler, I couldn't help but think, surely that's a sign that there must be some live sport out there somewhere. But when I tuned into the channel, did I actually expect to find world-class entertaining live sport? Well, no, certainly not. But did I expect to find a replay of the 1997 All-American Spelling Bee final? Nope. So it got me thinking, if that's the best that a sporting channel can offer at the moment, what are people actually betting on? So I took a hit for the team here and I downloaded an app and checked out where and how I could lose my money if I wanted to. The next event to run was the Sepka Cup Table Tennis Final from Ukraine with Anastasia Medvedevskaya, a clear favourite against Natalia Sevyednitska. This was followed up by the Moscow League Pro in the Men's League, seemingly proving that table tennis meets the criteria for social distancing. A Turkmenistan Soccer League, European darts without an audience, and some regional Australian greyhound racing rounded out the live sports offering. Oh, and of course, I could wager money on the odds of the weather in Sydney reaching or exceeding 23.3 degrees Celsius. But above all these options was eSports, which reminded me that over the past few years, some AFL clubs had invested in eSports teams, but I'd never really looked into what that meant. Well, eSports or electronic sports is competitive video gaming, and it has a huge audience. 
estimated before all of this shutdown to be 400 million globally per year and growing. Well, the AFL did its research a few years back and discovered that around 21% of AFL fans watch, play or follow esports, making the total Australian market around 1.5 million people. Essendon and Adelaide were the first two clubs to see the opportunity and purchase a team. After Essendon sold their licence, Adelaide remained the only AFL club left with their team legacy. But in a typical growth market slash academy opportunity, the GWS Giants recently partnered with a company in New South Wales to support its high school esports operations in that state, nurturing a future talent pool of esporting greats. Necessity being the mother of invention and all that. In the last month, a couple of former Dockers players have set up their own esports competition called the Lockdown League and opened it up to AFL players currently without a competitive outlet. The first competition is scheduled to be a 32-player knockout FIFA 20 competition. Now, I don't want to completely dismiss the idea of this being a spectator sport, but to me, the idea of watching someone else play a video game gives me sort of the same vibe as listening to someone describe their dreams to you at work in the morning. No thanks. It's now time for what is becoming my favourite part of the podcast, the fifth quarter, which we've always wanted to do. Totally. When we talk about books and culture and arts and movies and things. Tess, have you got that promo you said you'd, uh, um, like that breaker you said you would make? No. So you know how I said, oh, I'll make a new opener and it'll be better than Lucy mm. and Rana's. Well, I didn't get around to it, so I need to put that up for another week. Lucy, have you got anything oh. to get us through? Oh, well, look, off the top of my head. <laughs> When the game is done and you go home, it's time for the fifth quarter. <laughs> um, actually, that was quite, that was an improvement on last week, but I'm still going to get someone to make <laughs> Julia <laughs> wants to leave. Julia's being a very supportive team member. <laughs> Julia Nicole just got Hayes. her bag. We welcome Nicole Hayes for the fifth quarter. What did you think of that, Nick? <laughs> I think that's some of Lucy's best work. <laughs> if you were on The Voice, would you turn your chair for that? I would totally turn my chair, and I'd stand up and do the. Would you hit the buzzer with your foot? (laughs) You'd do a mark. What was his name? A touchdown. Yeah, Yeah, I'm I'm crossing my genres, but anyway, Australian Idol touchdown. Tess, would you have given her a rose for that? (laughs) No. (laughs) Julia would have voted you off the (laughs) island for that. I would have blown out your tiki torch or whatever. (laughs) Why did it start with a siren? Because it's when the game's finished. So after the final siren goes, we start the fifth quarter. Okay, all right. With You've, a jazzy I mean, it was, it's a football connection. It was We've spent too much time talking about this. Let's move on to actual content. <laughs> Nicole Hayes, you have joined us on the line for the fifth quarter. What have you been reading, watching, listening to or singing about? <laughs> Not a lot of singing, and you'll all be grateful for that. I'm stuck in this non-fiction mode at the moment, and my big one's um, Jess Hill's See What You Made Me Do, Power Control and Domestic mm-hmm. Abuse, which just won the Stella Prize. You guys read it? Any of you read it? Yeah, I have. It Look, it's a tough read. It really is, but it is an extraordinary piece of journalism. I love that it turns the tables on the conversation around domestic violence and or domestic abuse specifically, um, instead of asking why she didn't leave, it asks why did he do it. It looks at behavioural patterns and systems that enable abuse, but it intertwines meticulous research with personal stories and case studies. And also what I really found powerful is the psychological theory behind it, that some of these strategies, even though some are subconscious and others are quite conscious by abusers and perpetrators draws on stuff that in the during the Korean War North Korean 
soldiers used against POWs and terrorists have used to, to kind of enforce and control behaviour and how effective and powerful it is. So, look, it's not exactly light reading by any stretch. It is absolutely groundbreaking and I just think such an important contribution to this conversation, which, you know, quite frankly, we need to keep having and I think is particularly poignant right now with everybody sort of cooped up at home. And the Stella Prize is a very prestigious prize, isn't it, Nick? We started about six or seven years ago and it's specifically to redress the issue of um, gender imbalance in prizes, how sort of men kept winning all of the time, even when women were being recognised in other countries with the same books, they weren't even making shortlists. And so it, it is, it features women or women writers or women, people who identify as non-binary, but also it, it has a big cash prize as well as just has an enormous impact on sales. And so it's got real recognition, real, it's really helping to shape the culture, uh, you know, the writing culture and the literary world in significant ways and in ways that some of the bigger prizes haven't been able to do of late. So winning the Stella uh, and the other thing that makes it so unique is that it can be fictional nonfiction. I think this might be the first nonfiction winner. I've read (laughs) it because nonfiction is my favourite type of books and which is much to Lucy's disgust. She looks at me and rolls her eyes as I say that because she's a non-fiction snob. Um, But I have found this book to really bring into focus the good bloke narrative. Um, It really kind of where that has been blurred in the conversation, especially about coercive control, it underpins with both those testimonials and also with the research in the way that she presents it, it actually really negates the good bloke narrative and um, using those war analogies I think is a really helpful one and a really innovative one for us to bust through to the next stage of this conversation and I think it's one of the most important books I've ever read, to be honest. It took me a really long time to read it though, Nick. I I agree. I think it's one of the most important books we've seen in this country. It's extraordinary. Tess, what have you been watching? Well, everybody knows I've been watching terrible things, but this week I actually got around to watching something that is new, which was a real thrill for me and it was unorthodox on Netflix which we might have discussed before but I had not got around to it. It is the story of a orthodox Jewish woman who's living in a community in Williamsburg and decides to get out of her environment. She wants to break free and be herself so she goes to Berlin and the show is split between each episode is kind of half in Williamsburg half in Berlin and they contrast her new life with her old life and it is just beautiful. It's like beautifully shot. The lead actress, Shira Haas, is unbelievable. You cannot stop watching her. Mm. She has that quality that people talk about, that watchable quality, where she's so small like a child, but she's so powerful and she has such presence that you just, you can't take your eyes off her. Even better, there's only a few episodes. So I always Mm. think sometimes with shows, there are just so many episodes of stuff that I find it intimidating to start, whereas Unorthodox is only, I think, four or five episodes? Four episodes. And so they pack a punch, they leave you with a good taste in your mouth and you get a, an amazing insight into a community that I didn't know a lot about. So I found it amazing. We said she was a great face actor. Oh, yeah, good face actor. You know, acting. when you can really see emotions, it's just so, oh, I love oh. watching acting yeah. where you don't need to say anything and you can see the feelings and the thoughts. Yeah, mm. it was really, really great. And then I um, went back to my normal life and watched Three Men and a Little Baby after that. So, you know. Is that the one with the ghost behind the curtain? Well, yes. it's not a ghost. It's a, it's a cardboard cutout. It's a cardboard cutout of Ted Danson. And also I will what? discuss. is it? Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> the whole thing is that he's an actor and he actually carries around in the film. Guys, it's a classic. A cardboard cutout of boy? himself. No, no it's, it's just Danson. in the distance. Oh. It's just small. But sorry to be all like true. 
wrong film. That's the only good thing about that film. <laughs> no, is the ghost. You know the weird thing. You know when you watch films that you watched heaps as a child. I watched that film all on repeat with three men and a little lady mm. as a follow, um, as a double act, almost my whole childhood. And I realised that I've married a combination of all three of the men. Like I was so <laughs> oh. like Sam is a complete combination of the three of them because I was like I love all of these three men a lot. And I was like ah oh, I married them. The best bits of all of them. I married oh. Steve from Sex and the City. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought I was an Aiden type, but turns yes, out it you're was Steve. Steve. <laughs> Do you want to know what I have been watching? I can't wait to hear. I have been watching uh, a series called The English Game. It, the premise, and this is what got me into it, was it's the backstory of the FA Cup and how football, the round ball game, got started in the UK. So it tells the story through Arthur Kinnaid, who played for Old Eton, and a Scottish working class superstar called Fergus Souter, Souter the Shooter. Both real people who, and this is based on actual events. But the best way I can explain the retelling of this story is that it's like if Jane Austen had played in a midweek soccer team, this would have been the product. It's a historical soccer story with a side server of romance and so much eye acting, lots of bold and beautiful kind of eye acting, fully heteronormative love interests. But the big key for me was look for the extraordinary character arc of the very handsome, white privileged Eton captain who is getting hot under the soccer jersey about women's reproductive rights and the factory workers' human rights. Ooh. So it's a little bit, it's oh, wow. quite sanctum. It's quite, <laughs> it's, there's wheelhouse. no bodice ripping. But jersey ripping? It's not even jersey ripping, mm-hmm. but there's some moments and I want you to watch it so that we can actually have a conversation about right. it because it's a little bit shit and it's a little <laughs> bit awesome. So I feel like it will. It will survive for you, Tess. Yeah. It's a little bit shit, but I love Lucy it. will also like it. <laughs> Our intellectual superior. I love how we're saying that face acting is amazing, but eye acting, acting is, is bad. not. <laughs> exactly. Nose acting is the middle area, can I just say, that I am very good at nose acting. I think across the board, though, Julia, you'll hate it, so don't watch it. <laughs> you lost me at. Heteronormative. And you, you eyeballed me when you said it as well. <laughs> that was my warning shot for you. But the reproductive rights stuff, quite interesting. So, Nicole, I think you'd really dig it. Lucy, you love a sports doco. I mean, th- mine was hardly a documentary. <laughs> you did ask me. You said, is it a documentary? And I said, yeah, it's like Big Brother with a box brownie from the turn of the century. Which I would watch that, by the way. Footage from the time. Um, you had me at Jane Austen, and I won't hear a bad word about it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to mention this little doco that I watched and I think that the makers will be pretty happy that I'm doing it because if I didn't talk about it I don't know who else would but there is a game called basketball and there was a player called Michael Jordan I don't know whether you've heard of him but there is a documentary that came out this week called The Last Dance and it is a behind the scenes documentary about the Chicago Bulls specifically about the 97-98 season but the awesome thing about it is it has oh and I'm just having a look over here. Julia Kiara has bought you her a Chicago oh Bulls God. fan. She has <laughs> cards. She's basketball laminated cards. basketball fan cards. I've got my nineteen ninety three upper deck cards <gasps> with Michael Jordan that Are you I've an MJ? Is MJ yours? Yeah, I followed basketball for MJ's career and then I dropped it like a hot potato because wow. you've had the best yeah. check out well, the rest. Yeah, he was yeah. pretty good, wasn't he? 
This is what I'm learning. Well, it's funny you should say that because I was never into basketball. So a lot of the footage that I saw in this was the first time I'd ever seen it. I was like, Mm. oh, he's really good. Yeah. (laughs) And it's funny because we grew up in the same house. We probably have a similar experience. But I don't ever remember basketball, even the word basketball, ever being mentioned. So my way of coming to basketball has seriously been through my youngest child um, who plays. And so I watch junior basketball. I'm watching NBA for the first time through this documentary Mm. and I'm quite wowed by the things that they're able to do. Where this is fascinating is that this has been kind of a documentary that's been out there and people have known it's had kind of the secret aura around it. But for a long time, Michael Jordan didn't want to release a lot of the footage. So there's so much footage of training and, you know, real behind the scenes stuff in locker rooms. And he changed his mind and said yes. And so this is a 10 part series. Parts one and two aired during the week. It became ESPN's most viewed documentary content ever. It averaged 6.1 million viewers in the US, probably helped by the fact that people are stuck at home watching something. Episodes three and four will come out next week. Everybody's talking about it. If you're wondering why the goat emoji is getting a real workout (laughs) on Twitter especially, it's probably to do with this documentary. Can I tell a really boring story? And you can cut this (laughs) if you want, Tess. But um, so as Lucy Lucy just alluded to, that basketball wasn't a part of our family home growing up. And so I didn't really know much about this story. I certainly didn't know much about it. I knew the Chicago Bulls were good, but I didn't know much about them. And when I was watching it, there's a whole episode on Scotty Pippen and so this is my way of falling on my sword and revealing things about myself but also letting this be your gateway to basketball if you haven't had one previously. I was watching and I was like, Scotty Pippen, Pippen. I know this name, Larsa Pippen. Larsa Pippen is best friends with Kim Kardashian. Larsa Pippen <laughs> must be related to Scotty Pippen. So I went down a wormhole, turns out she was married to him. So if you're a Kardashians fan, oh this is just connecting the dots. I'm just doing FBI's work for you here. And it reminded me of the time, and this is where it gets long and boring, that I was playing Trivial Pursuit against my parents and Lucy was there. So both our Andys were there, both our husbands, plus my dad, all massive golf fans, right? And for a piece of cheese, I got the question, who won America's Golfer of the Year in 1964? They all were like, ha-ha, you're not going to get this. And I went, well, hang on a minute. In 1964, that's when Baby went to Kellerman's and, <laughs> and Baby's parents, when they were playing golf, the dad said, if your mother ever leaves me, it'll be for Arnold Palmer. <laughs> so my guess is Arnold Palmer got the piece of cheese up your ass, mum and dad. <laughs> Dirty dancing, my whole golf education. So oh you might goodness. laugh that Larsa Pippen is best friends with Kim Kardashian, but whatever gets you to basketball. Can I up do your one tiny mum and dad? Nicole, carry on, but that is my kind of bring, To bring it back to actual basketball, my gateway, the only kind of way I got involved when I was living in, in America, because it is, it does go on a lot and they play a lot of games. March Madness, if anyone's ever watched it, which obviously didn't happen this year, but it's the college level basketball and it's a lightning tournament. So, you know, you get invested really fast, the results are quick and it's all just done in a month. And, you know, there are the favourites and there are the legacies and it's really a great way to kind of get a taste of it. And I do think it's some of the best basketball because they're, they're so young and it's all on the line for that one month. I recommend like March Madness. For, that's how they'll roll out the AFL. Mm-hmm. That'll actually be it the could whole be. NBA season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. November Madness. Let's round it out with Julia Julia Kiera. What have you been watching, listening to? 
I have been listening to the uh, new Fiona Apple album called Fetch the Bolt Cutters. Uh, the day that it dropped, my entire Twitter feed was just littered with, it's Fiona Apple Day, it's Fiona Apple Day. Um, if you're not a Fiona Apple fan... Just listen to the first song on the album. It'll hook you or it won't. Fiona Apple is someone that I feel like I've grown up with. Title came out in 1996. She's only released. This is her fifth album. It's a it's a great listen, but it's a heavy listen. It's like she has these hook choruses against her own kind of better judgment. <laughs> um, if you're interested, there's a great profile about Fiona Apple in The New Yorker by Emily Nussbaum that really goes through her process and her life. I think for the... Look, feminazis that listen to this podcast, <laughs> this is right up your alley. You'll love it. You'll love I it. I actually saw this great tweet by Eliza Skinner, who is a comedian in the US, and she wrote, if your boyfriend understands the Fiona Apple album, that's amazing. He's amazing. I mean, he definitely doesn't understand it, but I deeply appreciate the effort. He should get some credit. <laughs> yeah, it's a good nomination, Julia. It's really good. I hope people do listen to it. Um, I think that that's a wrap on The Outer Sanctum for this week. Thank you so much. So much for joining us, and uh, I think there's only one thing left to say, and that is go, go footy. In fact, Julia Fiona Apple might say it even better. Yeah, she might. Under the table, all you want. I, I won't, won't shut up. up. I won't shut up. Oh yeah. Kick me under the table, all you want. I won't shut up. I won't shut up. Kick me under the table, all you want. I won't shut up. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.